0: Welcome to the latest Experts in the Field podcast from Foothamstie's Farms, Estates and Rural Land team. With guest speakers and in-house experts, we'll provide insights into rural developments and current affairs.
1: I'm Edward Venmore, head of the team. We're pleased to bring you this episode, which is one of the number in which we consider succession planning and family dynamics we see in our farming family clients. Today, we're joined by Clive Beer and Anna Parker to discuss the importance and relevance of succession planning to all businesses. Anna is a partner in our private wealth sector and head of our UK succession and tax team. Anna specialises in providing tax and estate planning advice to individuals, landowners and farmers. Clive Beer is the director of Savills, specialising in contentious practice and strategic property advice and plays a leading role in estate management. Clive is also head of Savills Rural's Professional Practice in the UK. He is a registered valuer, accredited mediator and he provides expert witness services. Clive is one of only five chartered surveyors in the world to be a member of the Society of Trust and Estate Practitioners. Welcome to you both. It's great to have you here and thank you very much for your time. Morning, Edward. So, I come across these issues a lot in my practice and dealing with a range of disputes where succession planning has gone wrong. And I'm very interested today to hear both of your views on how clients can get things right and avoid those sorts of problems. If I can perhaps kick off with a question to Anna. Um, perhaps, Clive, why, why you think succession planning is important for farming families in particular?
0: I suppose, Ed, the, the fact of the matter is that succession planning is important to any family, whether they have a business or otherwise. And, and so you could argue that farming families are, are not different in that respect. Where they do differ slightly is that we seem to see a larger proportion of families in the farming field, who perhaps reach a later stage in their life without having addressed some of these issues. And so I suppose that you know the reason for the focus on farming families is that we perhaps identify more concerns later in life where they have not yet addressed the issues of succession that come with having a large illiquid asset as in the major part of their estate. So it, it really is a question of, you know, the, these are people with a, a lot of specific concerns, but for some reason, they seem less minded than some of our other clients to actually take advice early and get that conversation started. I don't know if that's your experience, Clive.
2: Well, no, I, I think I'd agree with you totally, That um, I'm always bemused that farmers think they're special and different than, than the you know, family who might be having a business in Wolverhampton making widgets. I mean, you know, they're no different. And, and actually, they put themselves at a massive disadvantage by being reluctant to engage in a discussion process and I don't know if they're perhaps more emotionally engaged with the assets of the business um, and and I suspect that might might be part of it or that there might be cult- cultural and local pressures about, about ownership and, and status and what all that means but but whatever the reasons and i suspect it you know each farming family can be different but i do find farming families for me are probably the most difficult client to advise when it comes to succession
0: and i take that point about that tie to the land and the emotional pull of the land and also the fact that that is a, is is an illiquid asset it's fundamentally mm-hmm. illiquid there is less opportunity perhaps to structure this kind of business and perhaps that's part of the driving force behind this reluctance to discuss it because it's it's perhaps harder for them to initially see what those options might be
2: I think that's right I I think also it's kind of it's often farming families have um, uh, you know immersed themselves in the farm and uh, and I suppose I look and think well um how, how much challenge have they had to their thinking outside of the, uh, out of their farming business or their farming friends or going to the cattle market on a friday or and all of that? whereas perhaps other businesses people are slightly more challenged and and, and challenged in in ways that makes them ask you know different questions of themselves and and, and I suspect it it might be that that lack of challenge that, you know that sometimes that inward look looking nature of what's going on that kind of makes people you know reluctant you know, to engage with the process
1: clever i think where where they are different to uh, a lot of other sort of family owned businesses is of course that they're all you know all very often these families are living and working together on the capital asset which is where the real value of in the family sits and that's what drives a lot of well, difficulties and tensions i think in having those discussions
2: No, it can do it's almost like the elephant in the corner isn't it you just don't absolutely absolutely you know the elephant in the corner can remain there for 50 years not be discussed and and I'm definitely definitely I've had that and, and experienced that and can't quite believe that the absolute obvious issue to discuss was never dealt with and 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 actually you know at its worst I suppose you can see that people's lives are put on hold as they start to invest and make certain assumptions about what will happen. And that I find particularly heartbreaking, actually, because that this lack of engagement can actually have really unpleasant consequences later if if actually you've built your life on the basis of assumptions. But the reality is that those assumptions are not good and and are not made good. And I'm afraid...
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're often in the in the matters that you know, come across my desk. The, the sad reality is that things haven't been dealt with properly over a very, very long period of time, as you just uh, explained. And what always strikes me is the huge unhappiness and upset that it can cause across generations in a family. And no one ever really set out for that. <laughs> no one really intended it. So it's in the unintended consequences of a failure to engage and plan Properly. Can, I, can, I, can I perhaps ask you to give an example, uh, obviously no names, uh, of, yeah. um, of one where uh, other cases that perhaps you've, you've seen where you've seen succession planning having really gone wrong and, and what was the key reason for that?
2: Well, I, I can think of one instance, um, which was my client who came to me, who was incredibly entrepreneurial, you know, and incredibly gifted as a farmer, but actually probably more gifted in, in, in terms of diversification and he'd he'd actually come onto the farm as a 16 year old he was youth training scheme back in back in the 80s and uh, he'd come and he, he'd he actually got completely stuck into the farming business but had actually created um, other businesses on the farm but not directly linked to the farm and and I have to say was an incredibly impressive individual and then you know, I discovered that actually his He'd been funding his siblings through um, through the farming business. His father had had poor health and had died relatively early. He'd he'd completely invested you know, kind of in in the business as if it was going to be his. And then and then suddenly, when his mother came into her early eighties, she then decided that she was going to to make equal shares across the business for all of the siblings, even though they hadn't been part of the business. And this came as a complete shock but more than that he'd, he'd actually relied upon what he'd been told in, in, and explained you know that that actually if, if he actually did the right thing and ran the business and looked after the family then that, the assets would be his and that then changed and and i and and i think there it's the ability to, for somebody to work on an understanding that that had existed until the crunch point and often the crunch point can be where a, a, an elderly mother or father you know goes into care and then starts to look at those um, other siblings who might be, be providing the care and and then a completely different attitude kicks in that hasn't applied in the past and 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 i and i think at that point you know i mean this is a person who's built their life around the assumption that actually was was perfectly good until it came to the critical moment now that and I have to say, I think, in, in, you know, I've, uh, I've dealt with a lot of family disputes. That type of dispute, where you find a whole family going into turmoil, is almost worse than a divorce, you, you know, yeah. because it, you look at it and because everybody, has, you know, feels that they've been, you know, betrayed each other and, and the whole thing starts to, to unravel. But it must be pretty heartbreaking to know all the efforts you've put in and and into into creating a business and then that happens to you later really hard
0: and I suppose you know we with that particular type of scenario where there's a change of heart right at the very end whilst communication is key it can be quite difficult to head that off and I mean having the right advisors around you and the right people in situ to, to, to help with that decision making process is going to facilitate hopefully as little fallout as possible but in most cases in many cases actually just facilitating that conversation earlier having the right sort of documentation in place making sure there's a proper partnership agreement making sure wills are regularly reviewed will help to make sure that those conversations are had both with advisors but then also with the wider family and then bringing in perhaps this idea of some kind of family arrangement or agreement where you are making sure that you know or, or hopefully trying to prevent people from getting into that position where they have relied heavily on something changed their lives um, and then found that they've got a nasty surprise. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, 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 yeah. So, uh, Clive, can I just ask you, when we were speaking um, before going uh, before into the podcast, you talked about some of the work you do through the International Legal Network uh, Consulegis. Just be interested in what your experience is in terms of succession planning in, in other countries and, and yeah. you know, whether attitudes are same or very different. I'm conscious that some of these things that we talk about when it comes to succession planning are very much based on traditions within, within families. Um, be interested in your experience in other countries.
2: Yeah, I I think the thing that has surprised me so much about working in different jurisdictions, you know, which could be in Switzerland or America or Germany or France or Italy, is that there's nothing new under the sun. You know, these issues we might like to think are, you know, some of our clients might like to think that they're particular to farming and and where they live in England. But no, I I can assure you, you could be a farming family on the outskirts of Florence and have exactly the same issues. And, but I do find on the continent that the whole concept of actually having perhaps discussions earlier and um, writing those discussions down in the family agreement in the way that Anna suggested, which I think is absolutely spot on. I, I think having a, having a record that's written in, dare I say, it, you know, real language, not your, your legalese as solicitors, so that actually, you know, because the lay clients can understand what they're agreeing to is really helpful and and i think one of the other interesting observations is how prosaic things like pre-nuptial and post-nuptial agreements are and and one of the things that i do say to you know to family um, you know, people in family businesses and the, and the young is don't wait for your parents to suggest that having a prenuptial agreement would be a good thing to do okay um uh-huh. you know because that's uh, that puts you your parents in an invidious position when suddenly you, you become engaged and and, and where you 've got a family agreement and it's, it, it's there and, it's, and the family agreement basically says well it's a upon to the family that you know in order to protect assets that you know, beneficiaries within that family will enter into prenuptial agreements, just takes the heat out of it, but also if you're young, don't just step up to the mark, just do it. You you know, you're not, you know, you know that this will act as a lubricant to making succession work and it's not going to be a a big issue. And the interesting thing is abroad, my observation is that pre and post-nuptial agreements are simply not a big issue. And I'm always perplexed in Britain why we make it so.
1: Um, I think, I think I do think, yeah, I completely agree with you. I do think attitudes have changed to, to that. I was struck a few years ago, and I think I mentioned this in one of our other podcast episodes, I was struck when a, a rather elderly client of mine, when I was meeting with him and his wife, started asking me about prenups. And I was slightly puzzled with his wife alongside him. But in fact, he was talking about his son, who was about to get married. And it had very much entered quite rightly his, um, his uh, sphere of thought in terms of, the succession planning, and how he was then going to pass down the farm to his son and and he wanted to just understand these things in 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 more detail and the options available to his son to help them in the in the discussions they were having so it, it certainly has changed a bit I think what we found has been quite useful is building in the requirement within say a partnership agreement that there mm-hmm. is uh, any partner who gets married will need to enter into a um, into a prenup and that way, if you do it over a long period of time. Obviously, that could be well in advance of potential other half arriving on the scene. And it, it takes out the emotion and the personal nature of it. It's just something that's in the partnership agreements and it's a matter of routine and expectation.
2: Uh, I, I suppose my, my observation is that most people who, who enter into prenuptial agreements it, and people who have, you know, I said, you, you know family agreements, family constitutions, the, the very process of having the discussion, the very journey or you know putting together a prenuptial agreement or a family agreement actually is the best uh, the best practice to avoid disputes happening in the first place because you have all of those sensible grown-up discussions up front and 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 you deal with it and and perhaps if if people have got less than honorable intentions of going into a marriage and 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 prenups are being discussed it is quite surprising how often that can exorcise a few goats that might be existing there and, and lurking yeah and so i cannot think of a time when any of my clients who've engaged in either family agreements or prenuptial agreements haven't done so and 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 would would actually go on to say the best thing that they did you know and would and would recommend it
1: anna have you got anything to add from your experience to what sort of approaches you've seen work well in um, in succession planning for farming families
0: I often find that farmers are a little bit under advised on their personal affairs so they may have an accountant in situ who they've known for many years or perhaps since they were young and as that you know business has grown and maybe diversified that accountant you know whilst still perfectly competent perhaps isn't quite keeping up with the sophistication of the business and I think it's incumbent upon you know those of us who are stepping into those sorts of Scenarios to make sure that we're asking all of the right questions, and some of them are quite probing and difficult. But if there isn't, uh, as Clive pointed out, if there isn't that kind of objective, sort of third party check and balance, if there isn't that person who's sort of outside the echo chamber of the farm, then there is no one to facilitate the conversations about the difficult bits. And the difficult bits are the ones that are going to necessitate the distress purchase of a property litigator. And it's my job to head that off at the pass by flushing out what those concerns might be and making sure that we've built, you know, the necessary structure around the family to try and mitigate, you know, the, those risks. Mm-hmm.
1: I completely agree. Can I, can I perhaps ask you, sort of flipping a question we asked earlier on, can you perhaps talk through a, a, an example where you've seen succession planning, you know, really done well?
2: Oh yeah, I, I can think of a situation where and this was an entrepreneur client. He would have been early 60s. Came to me and and wanted some help. And he said, "Look, I've created all of this, this wealth. Uh, I've done it in my lifetime. Um, I really, um, I've got concerns about you know just passing this wealth on." And and uh, and he started to talk about wanting to talk about tax and wanting to talk about trusts and, and 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 I said, "Look." I think we're starting at the wrong place. Can we start talking about the people? Actually, I think that's going to be so. You know, we we explained all about that, and um, and and actually, what what we entered into first was not all of the, the the heavy you know tax planning, but actually we did enter into what became a very simple um, family agreement, and uh, and as part of that, we had training and uh, an appropriate education for those um, or his two children who were going to to actually come into this well and, and and also started to set out some ground rules that they wouldn't come into the business either of them until they'd actually gone away and actually worked elsewhere and done other things first and and also one of the one of the rules that was set down and agreed by the family is that nobody could end up benefiting unless they were working so they had to be in employment. And, you know, the, the very thing that they were working meant that they could be doing anything. But, you know, they could be, you know, could be, if they wanted to, they could be working in McDonald's or they could be a brain surgeon. It didn't really matter, but they had to be working. They had to be engaged. And it was then explained that, you know, opportunities for them of coming into the business and how that would work, what would be expected of them as individuals and what would be the appropriate training. That they we you know. So, I and mean, it's one of those really quite. um I'm trying to. It's quite mixed emotions, really, because we set this up about 15 years ago, and this client has died. And I am really pleased to say that the transition across to the children actually just went to plan. And it, it went to plan because there was nothing exciting, because everybody knew what was going to happen, and the ultimate will was just really confirming what what the family had always understood to take place. And in, yes. and in that situation, what was interesting was that how fairness had been decided was not based upon equal shares. It was based upon how the children were succeeding to the business. And so one child had taken the decision to come back into the business. And actually, um, there was a greater proportion of the business and wealth that had been left t- to her and her brother, who decided not to, was actually compensated in other ways outside of the business. Now, both of them, both of the, of the children, what they say to me is what was great for them was the certainty that they had early on. So that once actually this had been dealt with, they didn't need to be going over it again and again and again. Um, and so, so that when actually their father became poorly, and in fact, also later their mother, they could actually deal with what mattered, which was caring for each other as family members, as opposed to w- wondering what on earth was going to be going on in terms of wealth and who was getting, whatever. And, and I think that, that would, would be an example of, of actually where not only, you know, did the family get it right, but everything came into place. And the process was nowhere near as difficult as, as, as the family thought it might have been once they started to engage. And I, and, I, and I
1: suspect if I was to ask you whether that was a successful, well-run business and doing well, I suspect the answer is probably yes, because no, everyone's was, everyone it, 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 engaged it, and pulling in the same direction and
2: knows, what, knows with certainty what, what's going to happen. It was like a Swiss watch. Yeah. In, 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 and, and I think, but, but, I, but often I think those kind of businesses that have been created in terms of first generation and have been highly successful, you know the, the, at that point, there's quite a lot of motivation in terms of actually how that's happened, and I suppose the key is, is, is to make sure that that doesn't dissipate in, in the next generation, and, and making people or making you know, the children and the family very much responsible, so not to have great expectations, but to have you know joint expectations that run both ways about well, what will you contribute to this business? And what will you bring to the party? And in turn, what we, what may you inherit?
1: Yeah, um, I was at the NFU conference a, a couple of weeks ago, and there was a, a very impressive farming family speaking, mother, mother and daughter on, on, the, on a panel. And they were talking about their experience of how they're bringing the younger generation into into the family and, and into the business. And the, the daughter was an accountant, I recall, by, by training. And she had worked in London before deciding to, moved back to the the family farm. And it was really interesting to hear the brilliant ideas that she was able to bring into the business in terms of diversification and the opportunities they were exploring. And uh, her parents were clearly giving her a lot of responsibility to take those ideas forward and really help build and add to the business. It was really fascinating to hear a great story like that. Mm. Anna, can I perhaps ask your, your experience? Can you You've got a a story to tell in terms of uh, a good example of where Succession's gone right.
0: I'm engrossed in a really good example of where Succession's gone right at the moment. And this is a family who have obviously had the good sense to see this coming. So, you know, we have a a father sadly passed away, leaving mum. There are a sort of series of trusts in place. So some of the bar went into the will trust. Some lifetime planning was done. So there are some lifetime trusts as well. So this is a family who you know who is paying attention. But what they have realized is that what 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 they've done is yes they've divided up the farm but they haven't actually created separate you know husbandable parcels for these two sons and what mum doesn't want to happen is there to be any space for argument or discussion after she's gone as to how that should take effect so what we're doing is we're doing it now and there are all sorts of good reliefs and things available where you're partitioning a farm so you know we've given some tax advice and we're doing all the property work for them and what we're doing is we're creating fair and uh, reasonably assessed in terms of value separate units with each with its own farmhouse and each with you know the, the, the wherewithal for those sons to go ahead and create their own separate businesses now rather than waiting for mum to pass away and in this case there are also sisters on the scene and so there has been a lot of discussion around you know the obviously the necessity to keep the farm viable to make sure that those businesses are are able to continue and whilst the the, the provision for the sisters is not on an objective analysis fair it is it feels equitable they understand you know they're from a farming family they understand how this looks they understand their position and they know how this arrangement has been reached they've been involved at every turn so whilst we haven't reached a position which is fair what we have reached is a position that everybody understands and has made their peace with so that mum knows that when she does pass away we're not going to have any any unpleasantness any difficulty between her children
1: yeah exactly what you want to want to see happening can I just ask you both perhaps starting with Clive can I put this to a conclusion what would be your sort of you know top tips or your three top tips for farming or land estate families
2: planning for the future okay well I I think the the, my three points or my three takeaways would be you can't really start the conversation early enough and uh, and and I think in terms of in terms of children a 16 year old can often have an understanding of where their, their life might go to because let's face it we all start planning our careers and uh, and decisions we make when we're 16 and what a levels we choose and whatever actually put us on the course. so so in terms of actually having it as a subject that's not taboo yes. but is absolutely capable of being discussed I, I think that's the first one the second one is is, is don't play games you, you know don't play games be transparent if family members are trying to control each other be careful what you wish for and, and i and i think the other thing is write it down okay just have a record and um, and actually if possible formalize that record into into a family agreement i i think you and i can have a conversation okay and we can agree on something and and potentially i can i know what i've agreed and you would know what you've agreed and then years later when we come to test it we might actually find that we chose to agree something different from each other but if it was written down you know it's difficult to kind of to say well i didn't know what was going on and i and i think you know so so, so make a record
1: yeah no i very much agree with that i think that what i would say to clients is you know, spending a little bit of money formalizing that with wills, partnership agreements, et cetera, and getting, keeping those things up to date. Just to formalize it, just to make sure it is all, all clear, it, it's worth it. You, you pay for insurance policies on a raft of other things, just spending a little bit of time and care, getting that down and paid properly. It, yeah. The benefits later on are enormous and huge uh, huge savings so emotionally and uh, in terms of finances. Anna, is there anything you wanted to add to those excellent points that uh, Clive's raised?
0: Clive's clearly hit the nail on the head and covered most things. I think I would just add to that: build a team around you, find the you know, people who trust you and understand your business, and introduce your family to those people. Because I, I often come into these things when someone's passed away, and when they've gone, it's too, it's too late for us to have a real understanding about you know what what they wanted to achieve. If what we've got is, you know, a a deep mutual understanding and then the children appear and they're in a panic and they don't know what to do. You know, we're not just lawyers. We are sensible business people and we can help to steer them through any number of difficult things. But that's harder to do where we don't have the ongoing relationship with them. So Mm -hmm. if I would say find somebody you like and in the big scheme of things, paying them to, you know, have that conversation and sort out some documentation with you is going to be a lot cheaper than the cost of any litigation later. And then once you've found them, make sure that the family, you know, know where to go and that they know that they'll be supported. And hopefully then those transition points will be less likely to blow up.
1: Completely agree. uh, And Thank you both for your time. is really helpful. Uh, We've um, returned to the theme a number of times during the course of this series of podcasts. And I do hope that everyone found... Uh, that really helpful. Please do obviously take a look at our website. I've also include uh, details and a link to Clive's details in the comments description for this podcast. Thank you again for listening.
0: Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next Foot Anstie Experts in the Field podcast. Join us next time for more insights on important rural and agricultural issues. Find out more about our podcast series at com.